This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Equity Minds. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is useful. Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast that follows our journey of investing. Whether you're an absolute beginner or approaching Warren Buffett's status, our aim is to help break down your barriers from beginning to dividend. My name is Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you going? I'm very good, Bryce. I'm excited for this episode. We have an expert investor joining us to talk about one of the hottest topics in the Equity Mates community, mm. ethical investing. That's it. And we get to bring back one of our favorite games that we, we haven't yeah. played for a while, but I'm glad we get to today, ethical or unethical. Yeah, you're right. We haven't uh, we haven't played it for a while. I'm equally as keen to get started, but it is our absolute pleasure to welcome Nathan Hughes to the Equity Mates studio. Nathan, welcome. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. How are you doing? We're very well. We're very well. So, Nathan, for those who haven't heard of you before, you're a portfolio manager of Perpetual's Ethical SRI Fund and Income Share Funds. Uh, with over 17 years' experience in the industry, 11 of those at Perpetual, Perpetual's Ethical SRI Fund is an actively managed fund targeting long-term capital growth and income through investment in quality shares of Australian ethical and socially responsible companies. The fund has just celebrated its 20-year anniversary as an unlisted fund and in November last year floated on the ASX with the ticker GIVE, G-I-V-E. So we're going to be unpacking all of that today and thank you to Perpetual for sponsoring this episode. But Ren, let's crack into unethical or ethical. Yeah, Nathan, uh, <laughs> you've just joined us on the show and we want to put you on the hot seat straight away. Um, so we want to uh, throw some companies out there and, and get your view on whether they're ethical or unethical. Now, uh, we know there's a lot of gray area and so you don't have to make it, you don't have to call any company unethical if you don't want to, but we'd love to just understand how you think about 
even approaching this question as an ethical fund manager. So um, are you up for playing? Yeah, absolutely. Bring it on. Yeah, and yeah, you put me in the hot seat straight away. Yeah. No, uh, <laughs> no warm-up, guys. <laughs> that's it. That's it. We uh, we like to go hard here at Equity Mates. But look, uh, in saying that, <laughs> we'll probably start with an easy company or a company on the easier side. Ethical or unethical, Woodside Petroleum. Uh, look, that's that's not easy. Um, look, look, it is in, in one sense. In the uh, there's a very clear need to to decarbonise and move away from from fossil fuels. At the same time, we likely need gas as a transition fuel to help us get there. And the process of decarbonisation and all the infrastructure investment is actually going to require um, some hydrocarbons. And that's that's just an unfortunate reality of the situation we we find ourselves in. However. As my fund screens, I can talk to that a little bit later on. I'd put that uh, in the unethical category. But you make a good point. You know, there are shades of grey, and it's not necessarily black or white. A lot of what is ethical or responsible, sustainable, can actually be quite quite nuanced. But I'm sure we'll explore that as we go through some other stocks. So, ethical or unethical, Crown Resorts? I would say unethical, uh, just in light of some of the behaviour that's gone on there and being a a front for money laundering and, and things like that, uh, unethical. Maybe we should have started with Crown. That was yeah. probably the easier <laughs> one. <laughs> uh, Nathan, uh, one that we always like to ask here, Bryce uh, used to wear green and uh, be a proud yep. employee of Woolworths. <laughs> and Woolworths, you know, up until last year had a big pokies business, had a big alcohol business, and so that was always a controversial one. They've since demerged, and we haven't had the opportunity to ask a fund manager since, so we get to ask you, ethical or unethical, Woolworths? Ethical. However, I I would point out, even though they've demerged in Devon, they they still do have a small look-through exposure to that. My view, though, is that will be sold in full course, and they also do sell a lot of tobacco. And in the land of ethical and responsible funds, that's something that's very much frowned upon. Um, It's not a not a huge part of their sales, but it is something to keep in in your mind. And also, look, the reality is no company is perfect, right? And if you look hard enough uh, at any company, I'm sure you'd be able to find some problems or things they're not doing well. And, and Woolies is one of a number of companies that um, has had some underpayment problems and hasn't paid their staff properly and they've had to, to remediate that. So it is worth calling that out. But but on the whole, um, given the changes they've made to the portfolio and, and some of the good things that do, I'd still put them in the ethical camp. Ethical or unethical, Commonwealth Bank? Another tricky one. You've picked some really good stocks. They're quite topical. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anyone can deny, again, some of the challenges and problems the banks have had and some of their behaviour, which obviously led to the to the Royal Commission. Um, but they're not all bad either. I think something that does get a lot of attention is their exposure to, to fossil fuels. As a general rule, I'd argue that those exposures are quite small as a total percentage of the lending book and have been coming down. And at the same time, the banks have been uh, key supporters of sustainable finance and, and are funding a lot of projects in that regard as well, and renewables and things like that. So um, notwithstanding, again, some, some flaws in the past, I'd say ComBank is in the ethical category. So Nathan, I'm I'm sensing a theme in the last two answers. You spoke about tobacco as a small percentage of Woolworths' sales, and then yeah. you spoke about uh, fossil fuel lending as a percentage of Commonwealth Bank's loan book. Uh, we'll we'll unpack uh, your investment philosophy uh, as we go through, but uh, I feel like the um, the percentage of the the bad compared to the good probably will become a big point in in today's conversation. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think it's just to highlight that as I said, no one's 
necessarily perfect. There is a lot to consider. And when you think about ESG, I mean, I can talk about Tesla, which got removed from the uh, S&P ESG index last week. And there was some consternation about this from people like Cathy and, and Elon himself. But I mean, the very thing ESG in itself covers a lot of different factors, three. And, and often there's uh, too much of a focus on any one at the expense of the others at any one time. If you'd said to me, Tesla sh should be in a ESG index because, you know, they've got really high quality governance and do really well socially, like I would have laughed. <laughs> There's a big focus on electric vehicles and, and what that means, but we also need to think about how they source their parts and how they go about it and, and what they're doing environmentally in the first place to make those electric vehicles. So it's just to highlight that it's it can be quite nuanced and there are a lot of things to consider. Often there seems like a really obvious answer but there's a lot of different things to think about. And you're right, we're trying to take a balanced view and, and think about uh, things in totality rather than drilling down on any one particular thing. A stock that's spoken a lot about in the Equitymates community, unethical or ethical, zip. I'm probably going to disappoint <laughs> some of the community. I think that's unethical. In the, I think buy-now, pay-later is a particular type of, of lending it's unsecured. I'd argue it's probably targeted certain certain cohorts. And look, I'd stop way short of using the word predatory, which we see in other parts of the market. But I think uh, I'd put that in any unethical camp. Yeah, I don't think you're surprising too many people that a credit product okay. doesn't uh, <laughs> doesn't fit in that. Uh, it's obviously you know better than credit cards in terms of interest rate and stuff like that. But uh, people spending beyond their means, not great. I think as well. Um, all the products are slightly different, but once you're overdue, those late fees can become quite uh, an impost. And when, when thought about in terms of an equivalent interest rate, it's it's pretty prohibitive, yeah. So, Nathan, this next company we've included because uh, they have two businesses that are quite different. <laughs> I, I don't think either of them are particularly unethical, but I'm interested to get your views. Uh, Fortescue. Yeah, uh, so look, I'd say ethical. I think firstly, starting off with FFI or Fortescue Future Industries, I mean, there are some great ambitions there, but it is still early days. Look, we don't own the stock, but I certainly believe in what Twiggy Andrew Forrest is, is trying to achieve, but it is it is a long path ahead and there's a lot to do. Fortescue, as it stands today, though, is still predominantly an iron ore producer. And as we know, the scope three emissions from iron ore are, are quite high. But as I was saying before, there's a little bit of nuance. At the end of the day, we need steel to decarbonise. We need steel for civilization as it is today. I think the real challenge is trying to decarbonise that process. And a few of the companies we look at are doing interesting things, like Blue Scope, for example, in how to make that less emissions intensive in the, in the manufacture of steel. No, look, as it stands, Fortescue, I'd definitely put in the, uh, in the ethical category. And it'll be interesting to see how FFI evolves over coming years. If we were to say ethical or unethical on REA Group, where would you land? Uh, ethical. Nice. <laughs> I think I think that's pretty clear cut. Yeah. Uh, another tech uh, company, maybe not quite in as ethical an industry. Uh, points bet, ethical or unethical? Oh, look, I'm probably going to sit on the fence because I don't necessarily have a thing against wagering per se. It's obviously screened out of my fund, which we can we can talk to later. What does annoy me, and it's not a points but specific thing, it's an industry thing, it's just the level of advertising. Oh, Nathan, um, you're, you're telling me it is unbelievable. It's yeah. one of my biggest gripes. Just allow them to exist yeah. but not to advertise. Absolutely. I think I think it's too much and I think, you know, I'm, I'm trying to watch the footy or the soccer with my son who's eight uh, and he's bombarded by ads 
you know, just for kickoff and then a half time. And it, it kind of drives me a little bit insane. As I said, I'm screens aside for one moment. I'm not against wagering per se. However, I think uh, something's got to change in terms of the regulatory backdrop and the advertising that they do. So to close out, uh, not a stock, but a definitely another asset class, and that is Bitcoin. Ethical or unethical? Say <laughs> so the best till last, eh? Yeah. Um, look, I would say unethical, and people probably say because you never made any money out of it. <laughs> look, I, I profess to not understanding it. Look, from where I sit, value's kind of been created out of nowhere, and I'm not really sure what sits behind that or what the longevity of that is. And as I understand it, it's quite an energy-intensive process as well to mine new coins. And when you're spending a lot of energy, I acknowledge some of it is uh, powered by renewables now, and there are a lot of firms doing that, including I think a couple listed in in the US now. When you're spending a lot of energy uh, and power to mine something of questionable value, and for me, it's something more akin to speculative, uh, speculative asset class, then I just think that's probably unethical. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's a very divisive one. There's obviously a reason we included it in the uh, in the run sheet here. Yeah, <laughs> you mentioned you mentioned the uh, the renewable energy Bitcoin miners. I think there's an Australian company that we should I should try and remember their name and shout them out. Um, Iris Energy. That's uh, I think that's it's Iris that. Energy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So you love to see Australians trying to trying to work on that problem and figure that one out. But look, Nathan, we could talk crypto all day. We're not going to. We're gonna. Uh, we want to turn, uh, I guess, to you, uh, your story, um, and then talk about your ethical fund at Perpetual and sure. some companies that you're you're watching in the market today. So we love to go back to how people started out as investors and hear the story of their very first investment. We generally find there's a good lesson or a good story that comes out of it. So can you tell us the story of your first investment? Absolutely. And yes, there was a very important lesson to come out of it. Uh, I wish I didn't have to tell this story. (laughs) It was early 2004 and it was in a stock called Unwired. And I think I think it made like internet routers or or something of the sort. But evidently, it didn't make any money, and I, I promptly dusted half of my investment. But that was in and of itself a really good lesson for me, and a bit of a wake up call that I needed to actually figure out how everything worked and and how businesses worked and how stocks worked if I was trying to trying to make money in the future and look that was that was one of a few investments at that stage in my life I just had a full-time job that obviously piqued my interest in the in the market and then I went on to to work in accounting and study finance at university before I found my way to perpetual in 2010 Mm. but yeah look it was it was an incredibly poor investment (laughs) (laughs) but it gave me the drive to actually figure it out you know and and do some learning and, and from there uh, obviously, studies and a, and a lot of books on investing, and I, I've read several over over the years since. Well, we will get to books at the end of the episode, but um, uh, Nathan Wren said at the top of the show that uh, ESG is a, a pretty hot topic in the Equitymates community at the moment, and rightly so. Yeah. But we're we're pretty interested to understand how you you have seen the focus on ethical investing evolve and change uh, over over your eleven years at Perpetual. So you can talk us through. Um, you know, what it used to be versus how it's kind of playing out now? Just for a bit of background for your listeners and, and yourselves, I've managed this fund for three years, but I've obviously been part of the broad organisation for nearly 12 now. And I think when I first started, I wasn't as close to the equities team, but it was certainly seen as a bit more 
niche is probably too strong a word, but it was certainly uh, a satellite, if you think core satellite and portfolio construction and, and, and things like that. Now it's absolutely mainstream. So I run an ethical fund, but the very notion of ESG and thinking about companies across a whole range of factors is very much par for the course. It's integrated everywhere. Um, it gets a lot of attention. And look, there's there's a number of reasons for that. There's obviously a growing focus on climate, giving volatility weather patterns. Uh, to, to mention one, there are regulatory changes like modern slavery and things like that. But I, I mean, I take a step back and I think notwithstanding the extra attention that it garners at the moment and, and the focus from clients and, and, and investors as well, particularly younger generation, thinking about a company from an ESG perspective is just part of our job. Uh, we have four quality filters at Perpetual uh, one of those, it's aptly named quality of business, but really we're trying to think about the, the very nature of the company or organisation we're buying. You know, what's the competitive position of the company? What's the industry structure like? What's the culture like of the business? And when looking at a business from an ESG lens, that's really an extension of business quality in my eyes. So in one way, it's absolutely topical. We've seen a lot of flows into the space um, up until very recently, you know, performance of ESG funds had been excellent globally. There are a couple of Aussie funds that have done particularly well. But as, as, as I said, it's actually been caused in the investment process for some time now. But definitely, it's accelerated. Uh, it's one of the first questions we get from researchers or, or investors. It's very much front and centre these days, which is a big change from 10 years ago. Uh, Bryce and I often speak about, because, you know, we've only been doing this podcast for four and a bit years now and even in that time that like the influence that ethical investing has had and the focus it has from uh, the you know the equity mates community and the broader investment public is just crazy do you think there'll be a time when we stop calling them ethical funds and it's just like par for the course every fund it's a consideration it's just you know table stakes for companies to to consider these things absolutely i think we're actually not that far away from that at the moment, because it is. And part of it is obviously sustainability and, and wanting to, to make things better. Part of it is regulatory driven in terms of, for example, in Europe, if you look at what they're doing on carbon pricing and border adjustment mechanisms, I mean, that obviously has relevance mm. for, for companies all around the world. So the regulatory angle to it as well. And there's a younger demographic of investor that has a little bit of a different mindset as well and wants to invest align. Uh, with their values and perhaps their values are a little different than, than some older demographics. I agree with you. I think it will become par for the course because some of the challenges, whether it's seen as an ESG issue or otherwise, some of these challenges like the need to decarbonise, they're just par for the course. It doesn't matter what sort of fund you're running. If you're if you're long an industrial utility, like say an AGL, which we're not, there's a debate. Is it an ESG issue or is it just an existential business issue? I don't know, but I think the two go hand in hand. So I think in a, in a roundabout way to answer your question, I think we're not far away from that point already. <laughs> so Nathan, we've had a, a pretty long run up to this next question, so we'll just fire away. Um, can you explain the investment philosophy underpinning give? And then perhaps following on, uh, explain some of the, the screening processes that you use, as, as you've mentioned already. So give is a listed uh, ETF, but it's an extension of our unlisted unit trust. In fact, it's exactly the same portfolio. The only difference is it's listed on the ASX and has a different fee structure. The unlisted fund's been around for 20 years, as you guys mentioned at the start. And at Perpetual, we are what we call a bottom-up stock picker. So we're looking at stocks on a bottom-up basis, that is stock by stock. We're not 
setting up our portfolios to take big macroeconomic bets or views. What we're trying to do is buy good quality companies at uh, attractive valuations. I know it sounds really simple, but that's really what we're all about. And I think a lot of good investing is just really about discipline and, and sticking to that process. So we have four quality filters here at Perpetual around the quality of the business, the people running the business. We're looking for businesses that are profitable and generate recurring earnings. And we're looking for you know conservatively geared balance sheets or really strong balance sheets. And we, we believe those four filters really protect us in times of volatility or when things go wrong, as they inevitably will. So the difference for my fund is we run two definitive screens and we call them the what and the how. And the first thing we're looking at is what a company does. So we're looking at the activities of the company and some of the common things that are screened out, are alcohol, manufacturing, distribution, tobacco, gaming, fossil fuels, amongst other. There's certainly some of the bigger exclusions. And the way we assess that is at a 5% revenue materiality threshold. We, look, we talked about the banks earlier. I mean, the bank's exposure to fossil fuels falls well below that threshold, uh, as you'd expect. It's quite a small proportion of their loan book. But if a company has more than 5% of its revenue from any one of those activities, uh, it's screened out from the first step of our screening process. So, I mean, a couple of examples would be uh, BHP as it extends today, uh, as it stands today rather, with its oil and gas exposure, which it's about to dispose of, uh, aristocrat leisure, something like a crown, you know, stocks of that nature uh, excluded from the first step of the process. Then we run a second step, uh, which is scoring a company across a whole range of ESG measures, and we're looking for a net positive score to then be eligible for the investable universe. So we try and achieve a balanced score. We look at a whole different uh, bunch of things. We look at environmental performance, safety performance, the governance, sorry, of the company. Uh, we're looking at all sorts of things to come up with a score, and we're looking for net positive scores for inclusion in the, in the universe. Then once we've passed those two filters, in addition to the four filters, then I build the portfolio. There is one extra thing around give, which I think is is a little bit unique, and that is the way and really the reason behind the ticker. So the idea behind give is that should the fund perform, there, there's a performance fee uh, component, but we're going to give a third of that performance fee to charity, and that's that's where the give comes from. So we've got a product where I think it's got a pretty competitive base fee, and I think that in, that alignment's important for investors that they should only pay for certain performance um, rather than taking an asymmetric bet. And on the flip side, if we do well, then we'll be giving a meaningful part of that to, to charity, which I feel pretty good about. It's only early days, but my plan is to to grow that into something really meaningful over the next five or so years. Yeah, wow, that's great. I actually didn't didn't realize that. So, um, and, and you know, when we were prepping for this interview, I didn't come across that. So, Nathan, you got to yeah. get out there and shout that from the rooftops a Boost little bit more. Yeah. <laughs> I've got to perform first. I've got to do my job. True, true. <laughs> well, Nathan, uh, speaking of uh, performing and picking good stocks, uh, we've asked uh, for you to bring a couple that are on your watch list or you're keeping an eye on uh, at the moment, uh, and would love to turn to that and unpack them. Uh, why you like them, how you think about their, how ethical they are. But before we do that, we're going to take a quick break uh, to hear from our sponsors. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. 
That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. So Nathan, before the break, we played our favorite game, ethical or unethical, and then uh, we're introduced to you and the Perpetual Ethical SRI Fund, ASX ticker GIVE, G-I-V-E. And now we'd love to turn to how you're seeing the market at the moment and a few stocks that you're watching. So if we start broad and, and with the general market, it's it's been a tough year for 2022 uh, to start 2022. I think we can say that. How are you seeing it and how are you, I guess, positioning your portfolio to take advantage of it? Great question. It has has been pretty volatile actually, hasn't it? Um, <laughs> look, in, in, in terms of how how I'm seeing it, you've had a lot going on. You've had inflation. I think the dialogue around inflation becoming a little bit more in the persistent camp rather than transitory. And obviously that can be a bit of a dynamic for interest rate markets who've had an invasion in Eastern Europe and the rerouting of commodity supply chains, which is, you know, thrown into chaos some supply chains that are already experiencing difficulty off off the back of COVID. And somewhat related to the inflation, well sorry, mostly related to the inflation, we've had a repricing of interest rate markets as well, which has uh, an impact on all sorts of asset valuations. As you know, so it's been a really interesting time in terms of positioning for the volatility. Look, we're not macro people. I'm not a macro guy. What we try and do, as I said, is, is build robust, diversified portfolios of good companies. So part of the prep is just really being sure of what you're buying in the first place and making sure you've done the work around valuation and around balance sheet because it gives you that level of resilience. And then looking for opportunities, uh, being open-minded and, and looking for opportunities to come out of the woodwork. I think at an aggregate level, the broad 300 index is not much above zero for the financial year to date, but there is a big divergence in that where resource companies have done quite well. Industrials have, have struggled, especially small industrials. They've underperformed quite materially. So we're looking in those sorts of areas and just looking to take advantage of a little bit of weakness the last comment I'd make is that there seems to be a lot of talk around imminent recession with rate rises and things like that. I acknowledge that unemployment at falls probably as good as it gets, but I struggle to see. I know this is going to be famous last words. <laughs> I don't make macro calls, but I struggle to see how bad you can get near term. But the reason I do say that is because consumer balance sheets were boosted quite materially through COVID, through a lot of government stimulus, and that's been evident in savings rates which have not fully come back down. That's evident in, you know, bank system deposit growth. Um, people ahead of their repayments on their mortgages has improved quite dramatically over 18 months. So there's a, there's a few good signs there that the consumer is actually starting in a reasonable position. So notwithstanding the volatility, I, I don't think it's time to get too bearish in aggregate. I love that sentiment. Now you've jinxed it. So <laughs> <laughs> It's all over, no, but, fellas. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, before we turn to your uh, this, some individual stocks, I've got to ask, has it been difficult being an ethical fund manager watching fossil fuel stocks just absolutely rip to start the year? Uh, yes. <laughs> in a word. 
And look, I mean, kind of what I touched on at the start with Woodside, the reality is as it stands right here, right now, so not taking a view on net zero or where we need to be down the track, which I think we can all agree on, but as it stands today, hydrocarbons are in, in demand. And one of the books I'm going to talk about later, I won't give it away yet, talks about cycles and investment. And there hasn't been any investment Mm. in energy for some time because uh, people have been, one, there's been a bit of an ESG angle and there's been also a CapEx discipline angle from investors of of oil companies. So it's actually not particularly surprising to see what's happened with a lack of investment in a a tight market. From a performance standpoint, that's been a little bit challenging. You've obviously seen oil stocks, coal stocks. um, Most commodity stocks have done quite well, actually, which has been a headwind for performance, no doubt. But I believe that thing comes and goes in cycles and over the long run, we'll do just fine. Uh, and to be fair, performance has been okay, not seeing that headwind, which is is obviously pretty pleasing. Yeah. And, and we should say like we, as much as we are pretty binary in terms of, you know, fossil fuel, no fossil fuel, uh, when we speak, we say that fully recognizing that even in, you know, most or almost all net zero scenarios, we still are producing oil like uh, the world isn't going to get zero hydrocarbons like exxon all of them will still be around in 2050 yeah that's right i mean there's a lot of different paths we're going to need some but but we do need to change things a fair bit if we're going to get to where we aim to get to even even if we're talking in 2050 and that's something that does my head in a little bit when we're looking at companies and we're talking about 2050 i think what's really important for us is the steps they're taking in the interim so what, what interim targets do they have? Are we talking a target in 2030 or, or 2025? We need to try and hold these companies to account and, and make sense of what they're saying, but make sure you know it's not just a, a fake promise off in the distance that someone else has to worry about. We're looking at these companies to make sure they're taking action today because we need to start today to get on that path. So Nathan, let's uh, have a chat about some of the stocks in the portfolio. We love stock-specific chat at Equity Mates. So if possible, maybe we get through three. Yeah. If you can uh, let us know sort of uh, what the company does, why you like them or, or what's the thesis that um, gets them in the portfolio. And then equally, uh, what are some of the risks that you think about and what could actually break that thesis and then how you think about this from the point of view of ESG as well. So yeah, yeah let's kick it off. What's num- What's stock number one? Absolutely. Well, look, I think it's only fair that I talk about the biggest holding in the portfolio, stock number one. Uh, so that's Insurance Australia Group, and the name kind of gives it away, doesn't it? But they write home and motor insurance and also a, a lot of commercial insurance. Home and motor is what we call their personal lines business. Uh, the most recognisable brand in that business, Fearlessness, would be NRMA. Uh, so what they do is they, they basically take risk on for a price, essentially on your home or your car. And I mean, why do I like the stock? because there are some challenges here, but I think uh, some of that's reflected in the price, hence why we've made the investment that we have. I think their core franchise in Australia is a very, very strong business. So they've got a, a great market share. They're, they're seeding small bits of share to the challenger brands. They have been for some time. It's a slow process and their their share is really strong. This gives them uh, a lot of scale and, and power in the market. In terms of why the opportunity, we've always been asked ourselves, what's what's wrong? Why does the market not like this stock? They've had a couple of particularly bad years in terms of natural perils. And what we say natural perils, we're just saying bad weather. 
essentially. So we've had we've had bushfires, and this year, as any Sydney sighter will know, we've had about ten years worth of rain in in six months, and that is a problem for insurers. It drives their uh, bad weather, drives their claims up. We've had some some terrible floods up north as well, and we've had a lot of challenges now. With an insurance company, there is always going to be volatility in earnings. There are good claims years and and bad claims years. We think the market is capitalising the stock on what we'd say to be below mid-cycle earnings. So they've had a bad claims experience in recent years and the market is capitalising that into perpetuity. And they do that in a few ways. They'll up their budgeted perils costs. They'll also up their reinsurance costs and they have a detrimental, detrimental effect on margin. These things go through cycles, and it's our firm belief that uh, the mid-cycle earnings power of this business is much higher over the medium term. The final kicker as well could be interest rates. So as an insurer, you take premiums in day one to potentially pay out claims down the track, perhaps 18 months or two years later in the case of IOG, and you can invest those uh, reserves, is what they're called, technical reserves, to earn an income over the, over the interim period. And the interest rates have been obviously quite low. Um, and that's looking far more optimistic. So the investment income is going to come up as well. The reasons we like it are those negativities, which we think are uh, negatives rather that are factored into the stock price. Um, but they're also the risk to the thesis. So the risk is obviously the changing climate, which the company has been doing a lot of work on and can mitigate in certain ways through reinsurance arrangements and how they price their policies with all the data that they've got. Uh, a flow and effect of that is obviously reinsurance pricing as well. So the risk is that we're too optimistic on margin recovery, whereas reinsurance costs may continue to rise. The other risk I'd talk about is an adverse outcome on the business interruption insurance provision. So they've made a relatively conservative provision in my eyes for business interruption insurance. Um, if that was to go against them in the courts, I mean, that could be a downside risk for the stock as well. But look, that's a couple of reasons why we why we like it. We think a lot of the risks are well understood by the market. And it, it's often a case of trying to take a bit of a longer term view than a few other people. And I think the company can tick through a few of these challenges over the next 12 to 18 months. And that might drive a re-rate in the stock. So Nathan, thinking about insurance companies, I was trying to think what would it take for an insurance company to be unethical and you know, uh, I was trying to apply that 5% threshold that you spoke about earlier and I couldn't really think of anything. Yeah. The best I could come up with is maybe they have a really uh, bad like policy payout ratio and and maybe that's something where you're like, oh, they're not treating their customers that well. But like what yeah. what would it I guess what would it take for an insurance company to be unethical? Look, I think it's worth highlighting that IG hasn't been perfect either. They've had a problem with one of the other problems they've faced is they incorrectly calculated some of their pricing, which led to their customers overpaying. But you're right, for an insurer, it's reputational. It's not paying out claims correctly. It's treating their customers poorly. It's writing policies that, you know, there's a policy there, but it doesn't actually cover you for anything because of the technical legalese. I mean, they're some of the, the biggest challenges, I would say, from an ethical perspective. It's really customers and integrity and how they treat their policyholders. So Insurance Australia Group was the first stock. Let's turn to the second. What uh, um, is it the second largest holding in the portfolio? No, it's not. <laughs> I won't bore you with another. We laugh, we laugh about that, but the biggest portfolio holdings should also be the biggest conviction. So that, that wouldn't be that funny if they were the top yeah. Well, I'm going to go to the fourth biggest. Okay. 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 Nice. Uh, nice. So that's that's a company called Brambles, oh, yeah, which yeah. has been in the in the papers a little bit. There's Rent's been rumours of, 
Yeah, I, yeah. I, I'm a big fan. If a, uh, I won't steal your thunder, but I think anyone that can uh, s- sell a couple of uh, planks of wood painted blue for <laughs> that much, that's a great business. <laughs> <laughs> Look, in all seriousness, why, why does we think it is a good business is they are an important part of supply chains. They're an important part of FM. CG businesses globally moving product around and, and they are actually in all seriousness important part in reducing wastage in supply chains like food waste and things like that is actually a big problem and Bramble's go some way to solving that. I would call out just from an ESG standpoint uh, straight away that they do use a lot of timber in their products but in a comparative sense versus some of their peers or what we call whitewood pallets which just buy and reuse, Bramble's operate uh, rental pools. So there's basically a closed loop system where it goes from customer to supplier and, and back to Brambles through their network. So actually reusing the same stuff far more often, which is obviously more environmentally friendly. And look, they are doing good things as far as their sourcing goes and also you know replanting to take care of wood that they've used. They're, they're replanting stuff. So I think from a sustainability perspective, it's very much focused on a circular economy. I think they're doing good things and it's certainly a far more environmentally uh, friendly offer than some of their white wood peers. But like in terms of why we like the company and why we've made an investment at these levels, or actually a little bit higher if I'm being completely honest with you, there are three businesses geographically split with not a lot of synergy between them. They're very regional markets. So there's the APAC business, the European business and the US business. It's interesting, the US business has been problematic for some time now. It doesn't generate a lot of free cash flow. And obviously, with a spiking lumber price in the US, that's put more pressure on cash flows in that business. So you don't see it day one through the P&L because it's a CapEx cost, but it does obviously impact their free cash flow. But what we do think is the concern over that business and indeed the fear of them potentially doing a plastic pallet pool with Costco Say a lot of value off the stock price to a point where if you look at it on some of the parts basis, you're actually not paying a lot of money for the two really good businesses that do generate great returns, do generate cash flows, and that's Europe and, and Oz. So we think there's an opportunity there for a couple of reasons. I think lumber will normalise as some of the building boom in the US eases. That obviously has a beneficial impact to cash flows in the US. We think the pricing actions, we probably would have hoped they'd gone a little bit harder to recover cost inflation, but we are starting to see that come through. So you're seeing revenue improvement. And we do think they've got a really strong market position at heart in the US. So, I mean, to us, it's no surprise that there's been a bit of corporate interest, whether it's in totality, as CBC was rumoured, or even for that US division. And I think saying that US division could unlock a lot of value uh, and return some pretty meaningful capital back to shareholders. Yeah, well, Nathan, we could uh, speak brambles all day, but I am mindful uh, that we're brushing up on 40 minutes here, so we should move quickly to your third one. Otherwise, I'll talk about uh, pallets until the cows come home. So um, <laughs> briefly, uh, do you have a third company that you're watching or that's that's in the portfolio uh, that you think is an interesting one to chat about? I might go off piece. I've got one I'm watching, um, but is not in the portfolio, and I'll try and be really quick. So Breville is a company that we, we used to own here at Perpetual, I've got tons of their products in my kitchen to the point where my wife said, why don't we own Breville shares? <laughs> and I had to try and school her in the art of valuation. Uh, but look, it's a quality company. It's growing. They make great products. 
the one niggle in my mind, apart from valuation, is just how much of a COVID beneficiary they were with stay at home and how much sales got pulled forward. That's tricky to figure out because they are growing quite quickly at a base level by expanding into new geographies. Um, but it's a company I'd like to own at the right price. From an ESG standpoint for them, it'd really be about getting comfort in their sourcing and supply chain and making sure everything was okay in that regard. And also thinking about end of life, what can they do from a product stewardship standpoint to make things less impactful uh, when they no longer work? So that's one that's not in the portfolio at the moment, but is definitely on the watch list as of recent weeks. Nice. Well, uh, Breville is a fan favorite over here as well. One we've talked about often on the show and Ren doesn't stop talking about his Breville coffee machine. So I um, <laughs> can see why. Can that's I like- ask, Is it which one is it? Uh, it's, uh, I don't know what model it is, but it's the full, like, grind the beans. Uh, (laughs) yeah, it was, uh, my 2020 COVID lockdown purchase and I've never looked back. (laughs) (laughs) It's awesome. Neither of your housemates. Yeah. My, my housemates are are free riders on it at the moment. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, Nathan, that does bring us to, to almost the close of the episode. We do have three questions that we will always finish with, but I just wanted to certainly thank you for your time talking us through your approach to or your your funds approach to ESG a reminder that the the ticker for our audience uh, ASX give GIVE uh, thanks to perpetual for supporting this episode as well and we'll put some links in the show notes uh, to the give uh, website as well if you wanted to check out more information on that so um, yeah thank you very much for your time Nathan but Ren we've always uh, always finished with the final three so let's crack in that's right Nathan you uh, mentioned books a couple of times and you said you were going to uh, hold them until the end. Well, now's now's your time yeah. to, to share them with us. Uh, do you have any books that you consider must read? I've got a few. Um, Seeking Wisdom by a guy called Peter Bevelin, which is a nice all-rounder. From an investment standpoint, one up on Wall Street, Peter Lynch. Um, the one I alluded to earlier is two, is Capital Account and Capital Returns. And actually, it's a collection of letters written by guys at Marathon Asset Management over a number of years and through market cycles. Like that's probably the, my favorite investment book I've ever read. And just again, off piece, the one book that kind of made me a bit annoyed because I'm a massive Liverpool fan, but I really enjoyed um, Alex Ferguson's book called Leading, just about leadership and how he was so successful. That was a good read. Mm. We'll move on to the second question. Forget valuation, forget how good an investment they are today or yeah. whatever, just purely on on what the company is and its business model. Um. What's the best company you've ever come across? I'd probably say Microsoft. Nice. Yeah, that yeah. is a that is a common answer. That is a un- yeah. an unbelievable business. Cracking business, network effects, and just like everyone uses their products, right, and, and derives. You might not think it, but you do derive productivity and value from them. They've been pretty successful as well, expanding into cloud and and switching that model from a you know an upfront license to a more recurring subscription revenue model. I mean, there's some great businesses over there. There's some great businesses here, um, but like an Apple or a Google would come close overseas. But I think if you put you know me on the spot, I'd have to say Microsoft. Yeah, it is an amazing business. Does it pass your ESG screen? Yes, <laughs> I don't own it because. Um, until recently, it's been very expensive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, look, Nathan, we've loved having you on. We'd love to have you back on uh, to 
uh, talk more ethical investing. We'll do a whole episode on brambles if we have to. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, <laughs> but until then, how long can we talk about yeah. pallets? <laughs> uh, but look, until then, uh, we'll end with the question we always end these interviews with. If you think back to your younger self investing in unwired for the first time, what advice would you give to your younger self? Oh, it's really simple. Just understand what you're buying. Make sure you can explain the investment to your kids or, or someone young in really simple terms, understand exactly how the company makes money. <laughs> if you're going to speculate, be prepared to to take speculative type returns. But if you're trying to be a serious investor, just understand exactly uh, what you're buying. We had a similar expert finish with um, something along those lines quite recently. If you can't explain your investment in 30 seconds, you shouldn't be investing in it. Something along those lines. So great, yeah. great advice to finish. Thank you. The other thing I'd add is there's no uh, bonus points for degree of difficulty. Yes. If that yeah. makes sense. You don't have yeah, you don't have to have, and this this suits me because I'm not particularly bright. But you don't have to have <laughs> um, a 48 page Excel model or an incredibly detailed, complex thesis that makes you look and sound smarter than everyone else. You've got to figure out a few key drivers uh, and what's going to make the stock go up. Uh, understand what you're buying, but don't overcomplicate things. Yeah. Often the greatest opportunities are staring you right in the face. Yeah. yeah. We're about to open a can of worms, but we do also speak about that because we find some investor letters are just overwhelmingly complicated for the purpose of trying to fool investors that they have a great thesis. Yeah, where in actual fact, the best ones that are, we often read are just so clear and in two sentences, you know exactly why they're investing. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that is um, fantastic advice to finish on. It doesn't, there are no bonus points for degree of difficulty. So Nathan, thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting. Uh, for those listening at home, if you want more information on Perpetual, head to perpetual.com.au. But otherwise, we'll have uh, the information in the show notes for, for Give. So uh, Nathan, um, good luck with it. And I hope uh, over time, the uh, contribution to charity as well um, becomes meaningful. And we look forward to seeing how all of that plays out. So thank you very much. Thanks very much, guys. I really appreciate you having me on. I've enjoyed it a lot. Equity Mates Investing Podcast is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. Equitymates gives listeners access to information and educational content provided by a range of financial service professionals. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal or tax advice. The hosts of Equitymates Investing Podcast are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Equity Meets Media does not operate under an Australian financial services license and relies on the exemption available under the Corporations Act 2001 in respect of any information or advice given. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast or video. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equity Mates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equity Mates Media and the hosts of Equity Mates Investing Podcast acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. Hold up. 
subtle results. Still you, but with fewer lines. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulties swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia Gravis or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.